0: Hey there, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us for our study called Killing Me, Why Dying to Self is the Only Way to Truly Live. We think this series has the potential to change our lives. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. You might be wondering why we're doing this study called Killing Me. It's sort of a gross name, I know. And you say, "Well, why are we doing this? And the reason is pretty simple, friends. It's this. You have influence. You are influential. Yeah. And, um, and as you walk with Christ, it's important for you to know the process that Jesus is taking you through and it's important for you to know the process for you, but it's also important for you to know it for others because you have influence. And part of the big reason why we're even encouraging discipleship partners during this season of this study is because we need to learn how to do this. You, you need to learn, we, we learn it here. This is our, this is the, the, you know, the practice arena right here. And we learn it here, and then, and then so that we can take it out. Because you have influence, and it's important for you to know the process that Jesus walks us through so that you can know it for your own life, but so that you can also know it in other people's lives. Have you ever been talking to somebody about God and you feel stuck because you don't know what's next, right? So the the point of this whole series is really to try to equip us to be able to to understand that better so that we can then help others. Does that make sense? So I'm pretty excited about it. Um, you know, you know, you don't go from you don't go from pagan to super saint like overnight. You know that, right? Like, there's obviously a process that the Lord takes us through of growth and change. And what is that? And I, I'm convinced that there actually is. You know, it's not step by step. It's not that way. But it is sequential. Like there is a growing. And and just like we can identify um, stages of growth in our physical life, like you know, Karis and I are grandparents now, so we have a brand new grandbaby. She's only a couple of months old, and it's so cool to see the changes in her just in a couple of months. It's remarkable, and I know that you know. Obviously, we don't expect for her to uh, you know learn a foreign language yet, right? And she's only three months old, so she's just trying to. She's just where she's at. And so it's important to understand the process. We know the process for her physically, so we know what to expect. We kind of know what's next for her, don't you? You know that. And, and, and we're able to guide her. Same thing spiritually. So that's really why we're in this series called Killing Me. So this morning, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. We'll be there in just a quick second. John chapter 6. Um, you know, like a lot of people, for me, my favorite part of the Super Bowl are the commercials. Anybody like the commercials? And this year, I think one of my favorite commercials in the Super Bowl was the Kia commercial. Does that remember? Anybody remember that? It's the uh, the binky dad. The binky dad. You've got this uh, husband and wife. I'm going to assume they were married because I'm a pastor, that's what I do. So I'm going to assume they're married. You got a husband and wife, and they show up at this lodge with their baby, and they realize as they check in that they forgot the binky, and and so the dad goes, no problem. And he turns around, and suddenly the theme from Rocky begins to play. The guy's doing and he gets in his new Kia. Of course, it's the new Kia, naturally. And, uh, and he hops in. It's not missing a bumper or nothing like that, like my cars are, but his brand new Kia. And he jumps into Kia, and he starts driving off. And before you know it, the guy becomes an internet sensation. People are tweeting and showing his picture all over, and he overcomes all the odds, all the odds to get back home and to get the binky. And then he retrieves the binky, and he turns around, and he drives back, and he, his wife's waiting for him in the lodge there, and he takes the binky, and he puts it in the baby's mouth, and the baby spits it out. And and you know this, right? And the wife goes, oh, she likes the green one, I think, or something like that. And, you know, the look on his face was, oh, and so does he have to go back and do it all over again? And I think we like that commercial. It's funny. It's, you know, it's cute and all that, but I think we can identify with it because we've all been there. We've all been on a trip and forgotten something. And there's a point of no return in every trip. And where, like, if, if we go a couple of miles and I realize I forgot it, well, you know what, I might be grouchy, I might not like doing it, but I'll turn around, I'll go back and get it. But there does come a point in every journey where, no matter how important the object is, and even if you had a new Kia, and even if you had a motivational music soundtrack playing, you would not turn around and go back and get said object because you've crossed that point of no return, right? This morning in John chapter 6, we're going to look at the 12 disciples of Jesus and a snapshot from their life where they crossed, they were at that point of no return, where I humbly believe they would have turned back if they could, but they felt like they had gone too far and couldn't turn back. See, they, were, they had made a commitment to Christ, they're in this far, but they're, they're confused, they're not sure. Well, we'll get to it. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to read a long, it's a, it's a pretty long section of the Bible from John chapter 6. Don't normally do this, but it's super important for us to do it because we need to put ourselves into the text. Have you ever done that? You know, that's important when you're studying the Bible to to sometimes as best as you can put yourself in it. Because these are real people in a real circumstance. And so if I can if I can get myself emotionally in the text, well then I can understand it better and, and feel the thrust of it. So that's why we need to read this whole thing. And then I promise we'll read the whole thing, and it's a long text, so then I won't preach as much. So that's better. Some of you would be like, hashtag best day of church ever. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. So read John chapter six. I'll start with verse 25. And now to set this up, the the scene before this is Jesus has just fed this crowd of 5,000 people with nothing but a little boy's lunch and, you know, a couple of loaves and some fishes. And he feeds this, miraculously feeds this huge crowd of people. And now the next day, Verse 25, they found him, and by the way, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, uh, just like this, has a great flow to it. Uh, Verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, well, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's such good news. If that's all you hear today, hear that and hang on to it. The only thing God's asking from you is believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30, they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? Like, we know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father. Only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked, So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. (laughs) Gotta love Jesus, he just doubles down on it. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. But if you believe in me, you'll live forever. Now, he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples, his disciples, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. (laughs) If you're saved this morning, you know what a miracle you are. You literally are a living miracle, a work of God. It's amazing. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, he says. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that's why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples Many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. So here's Jesus arguing with his disciples how to have eternal life and what God expects of us, what God wants from us. And clearly at this point, you notice Jesus had more than 12 disciples because repeatedly we're told that it was the disciples that were responding to Jesus, right? In verse 60, the disciples couldn't understand. And in verse 61, the disciples are complaining and in verse 66, many of his disciples quit following Jesus at that point. So obviously, and then in verse 67, the only ones left are the 12 disciples. And I got to think they probably wanted to go too at that point. And so Jesus asked them. So obviously, this crowd of people was more than a crowd. This is not just a few, you know, joy seekers, groupies, looking for a good time. Like these are. Disciples, these are people who, who had placed some level of faith in Jesus, and they were believing in him, and they were following him. But see, now things are getting hard. Now Jesus is getting kind of crazy, right? Because Jesus calls them out, and he says, the only reason why you're following me is for the free food. That's the only reason why you're following me. And then Jesus confronts this in them. And there's a lot of people in the church today, maybe some of us, who relate to Jesus in the same way. Like, like, as long as the sermons are exciting, and as long as the worship team is awesome, and as long as the children's program is hopping and excellent, as long as your prayers are being answered and so forth, you know, for the most part, and as long as you feel the the warm fuzzies, whenever you walk in, like, okay, then you're in, right? We, in charismatic circles, we call these people the glory junkies, right? They're always looking for the next spiritual high, right? Looking for the next thing. And Jesus pretty clearly, see, puts the kibosh on that, doesn't he? It's like, the only reason why you're following me is for the miracles, the free food. You want to see this, but Jesus says, I'm the one you're actually looking for. He's trying to take their attention off of the miracles and onto him, isn't he? Because he wants them to become attached to him, see? And Jesus claims that he's the center of attraction, not all the things he can do for you. And he compares himself to the manna that the people of Israel ate back in the wilderness. Remember your Old Testament stories, Moses and the people of Israel, 40 years in the desert, and every day, manna just appeared on the ground after the dew, and the people collected it, and they, they ate that every day. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm the manna. I, I love how Jesus corrected them, because they were saying, you know, Moses gave us manna from heaven. And Jesus goes, no, actually, my father gave you the manna from heaven. And he says, and by the way, now I'm the manna. I'm here, the living bread, and if you eat from me, you'll never die, and you'll live forever. Jesus is saying, make me the primary pursuit of your life. Then he can satisfy. So the disciples, and that's an important word. Again, they're not just followers. They've got some level of faith in Jesus. The disciples have a hard time with this because they're like, wait a second, we know Joseph and Mary. How can this kid from Nazareth say that he came from heaven and say that he's the true, the true bread? And then Jesus doubles down on the claim, and I love this, right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood, he says, and you'll live. Reject it, and you'll die. I affectionately call this Jesus's eat me sermon. He's like, go ahead, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And this is why I wanted to read this whole section in the, in the Bible. Because, you know, sometimes when we read the scripture, we overlook the human element. And in doing so, we miss a lot of what God's trying to show us and what the Bible's saying. These are real people. Can you put yourself in the crowd in that day? And you're hearing Jesus give this sermon? Would you not also struggle with this? Jesus, That is weird. And it's gross, and it's all sorts of things, but, and I don't understand it. Would that not be your, I know that would be my response. These are real people trying to understand, or they're wrestling with this. Like, what does Jesus mean by eat his flesh and drink his blood? Nasty, right? And just like some of us, there's a part of this crowd who immediately dismiss it as hokum. They're just like, this is way too weird. We are out of here, Jesus. And they take off. And that's how some people react to Jesus. And then there's other people. Some of you might even be like that. You know, you're like, this, this Jesus, I, I don't get it. He confuses me. And so I don't even want to give him the time of day. But then there's other people in the crowd who are strangely curious. Jesus' weirdness, if you will, for lack of better words, Kind of draws you in. It it strikes your curiosity. You wonder what is he saying, and I and I press in for a little bit more. It doesn't chase me away. It stirs me up. And and the twelve disciples, they're they're a mix of both, aren't they? Some of them I think would have bailed out if they could have, uh, but they were all just as confused as everybody else. They definitely were just as grossed out by the eat my flesh, drink my blood comments as everybody else. And they're all gone. And now Jesus turns to these 12 and he goes, are you going to leave two? And can you hear Peter's words and can you feel the emotion and can you feel the confusion in Peter's own words? I think that they're there. Forgive me if I'm reading too much into it if you think I am, but I don't think so. Hank Peter's saying, Lord, you know, Peter says, Lord, to whom would we go? I kind of don't have any other options. I've given, given up my fishing business to follow you and, you know, left my wife back home. Where else am I going to go, Lord? And, and I do believe that you are the word, you have the words that give eternal life. Even though you, you confuse me with the blood and the flesh thing, but I, I believe that you are the Holy One of God. I, I, I believe that, Jesus. And I wonder if Peter would have left if he could, but he couldn't, didn't feel like he could leave, so he stayed. Do you feel the emotions in those words? He had crossed the point of no return. And Peter didn't have a Kia, and he didn't have an emotional, you know, a, a, a motivational music soundtrack to play and get him moving. He's already in. And he can't get out. And maybe this is where some of you are at right now in your relationship with God. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we hit these transitions. And this is what we really want to address this morning the first couple of transitions. As we grow in our relationship, we hit these transitions where we move from this phase in our journey to the next phase in our journey, but I'm in this transitional period. And so last week, we learned that our relationship with Jesus at the beginning looks a lot like the relationship between a potter and his clay, right? Where we settle the idea that God is God, I am not. He is the potter. I am the clay. But see, here's what that does to you and me. When I, when, I, when I embrace that as truth, what that does in me is something changes. I've now come to a new understanding about myself and about life that I didn't have before. I'm not God. And if God is God and I am not, now I have a responsibility to him in some way, shape, or form. So what is that responsibility? What does God want from me? It's a legitimate question, is it not? If he's God and I'm not, then clearly I'm not the one in charge, so what does God really want? What's God looking for? See, I can't live my life anymore like God doesn't exist. And since God does exist, I have to answer this question, an all-important question. What does God want from me. Many people assume that what God wants from them is to be religious. That's our natural first assumption. So I find a church that I like with people I can put up with, and I start digging in, and I get involved, and this this looks good for a little while, and then I hit this first transition in my walk with Jesus, and I call it, and this is just me I call it the trial of dissatisfaction. Where, where, I, and I believe that this is where Peter found himself in John chapter 6. Jesus, you confuse me, but where else am I going to go? I, I believe that you're God. I don't get you. But I, you know, but I, so I can't, I can't live my life any longer like you don't exist. But at the same time, I really don't know what else you want. And it's this trial of dissatisfaction. Let's see if I can put some more words around this. Okay, let's see if this is maybe you. And I believe this is some of you. This is why I'm excited for this morning. Because I think that some of you have been here for a long time. And you have thought that this is just how Christianity is supposed to be. And I want you to hear this morning that God has a plan for you. And that where you're at is normal. So please stick with me for a second. Let's see if this is you, okay? So you believe in God, right? You're not an an atheist. We've established that. Great, okay. So far, so good. However, there's a lot about this Christianity thing that you don't understand. Church is boring to you. You don't get it. You look around on a Sunday morning, and you see me, and you see some others, waving their hands, and, and you're sitting there like, all right, when is this gonna be over? You don't, you don't get it. You just don't, you don't get it. Like, what, what, they're feeling something I'm not feeling. What, what's going on here, right? A little bit like a fish out of water, right? So you're, so you're not impressed with the church at all. Not impressed with it. But, by the same token, You try to do the same things that you used to do in your old life, go to the same concerts, go to the same places, and those things are not satisfying either, really. I mean, they're still kind of a good time. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, you can go and you have a good... But you walk away still feeling empty. Like, they're not... You're not jiving in that, either. It's almost like you see those things from a whole different perspective now that you didn't see them before. And so, so you see, now you're sort of stuck between these two worlds, where, where I'm unimpressed with the church, and I'm unsatisfied with the world. Tracking with that? And, and like Peter in John chapter 6, you don't have a Kia, and you don't have Rocky music to motivate you forward. And, and you don't feel like, so you can't turn away, but you don't feel like you can really go forward either. You've got one foot in this world and one foot in the other world, and neither world is really doing it for you. Is this you? And what makes matters worse is this. You don't dare talk to anybody about it. Because you, you tried to talk to a few Christians about it, or maybe you heard a few Christians talking about it, and they were so judgmental, it left a bad taste in your mouth. Because their first reaction is, well, you should just read your Bible more. You just need to get more disciplined. That's what you need to do. Or maybe even you talk to a Christian about it, and they assumed you were in some deep sin. Like, oh, well, clearly you need to repent of something. What's going on in your life? That's why you feel this way. And you're like, that doesn't work. And you don't dare talk to your unsaved friends about it, because they just don't understand it. So now you are stuck. I got good news for you, friends. I have really good news for you. First of all, you're normal. This is a normal part of the process in your walk with God. Okay, number one. So breathe a sigh of relief. And number two, the reason why you don't feel like you fit in with the church and you don't feel like you fit in with the world is because you were not created for either one of those. You were created for an intimate relationship with Jesus. He made you for himself. You were made for an actual relationship with him. You weren't made for the church and you definitely weren't made for the world. You were made for Jesus. He's a real person and he wants to have an intimate connection with you, and experiencing him and knowing him, that is what you were designed for. And so that lack, that thing in you, where you're, you don't feel like you fit in, is actually, friends, the voice of God calling you, telling you you were designed for something more. There's nothing wrong with you. God is d- drawing you in. To something deeper. This is what the crowd didn't understand in John chapter 6. This is what Jesus was arguing with them about in John chapter 6. They thought that Moses gave them bread. And Jesus goes, no. You see that in verse 31, 32? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. My father did that. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven, Jesus, He's standing in front of them. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, see, you believe that God is your potter and you go to church thinking that's where the bread is, but the church is not the bread. It just isn't. Jesus is. He's the bread. So he's the one that you're actually longing for. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. That feeling you have is the Father drawing you into Jesus the bread. Let me say that again. That feeling of dissatisfaction you have, that, that feeling you have of not fitting in anywhere, that is the Father drawing you to Jesus the bread. Because you don't have a taste for the church, good. You don't have a taste for the world, excellent. I can tell you that there's bread, and his name is Jesus, and you discover the joy of intimacy with him. That's mm, a whole different experience, friends. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, it says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. So who made everything? Jesus did. Everything was created through him and for him. Look at that very last sentence. So who made everything? Jesus. And for whom did he make everything? For himself. You were made for Jesus. That's who you were made for. And you will never feel like you're home until you discover home with Jesus. Jesus is where home is. He's home base. See? So what do we do? Well, that's the next stage in our journey. And actually, Robin's going to be talking about that next Sunday when he's with us. He's actually going to be talking about the sheep and the shepherd. The next stage in our journey is where we learn the voice of the shepherd. And that's part of, that's the biggest part of of developing that intimate connection with Jesus. Because how do I have a friendship if I can't communicate? See? And so, the whole point of the phase in our walk with Jesus that I call the sheep and the shepherd face is actually to learn the voice of Jesus and to be able to respond to him and communicate with him and oh man that's a sweet sweet time when that happens I start learning his voice and begin to develop that relationship in him and I discover the joy of knowing Jesus that he's my bread but then I hit another trial and I just want to touch on this this morning, because the, this, what we've done is there's six trials, and so I've broken them down. So two today, and then in a couple more weeks, we'll do another two, and so forth. So we're spreading them out that way, just so you know. So, so I the potter and clay, and then I hit this trial, of trans, this trial of dissatisfaction. Then I begin to discover the joy of intimacy with Jesus. He's my shepherd, and this is great. But then I hit another trial after that, and it's called the trial of opposition. Because you see, here's what happens. Enjoying Jesus as my Savior costs me nothing. He does everything for me. Jesus paid the price on the cross. Jesus died for my sins. He conquered the grave. He did it all. And enjoying Jesus as my shepherd is great because the shepherd does everything for the sheep. The shepherd feeds. The shepherd protects. The shepherd leads and guides. Basically, all the sheep has to do is graze in the pasture and enjoy the presence of the shepherd. It's a great time. And some of you maybe are in this, in this part of your walk with God, and you're like, Ugh, it's awesome. You're loving life right now. It's great. It is. I love this stage. It's kind of the honeymoon period, if you will, in our walk with Jesus. But then we reach this place in our journey with Christ where it starts to cost us something, and it becomes hard See, So at first, church is boring, and I discover that I was made for relationship, but then following Jesus gets hard. (laughs) And now what? Then what do I do? Well, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. But I want to bring us back to John chapter 6. You notice this part where Jesus, what he's doing in telling them to eat his flesh and drink his blood, is what Jesus is doing is he's making it hard for them. Remember, the people had just followed Jesus because he was feeding them for free. He was doing miracles, and Jesus confronted them on that. That's the only reason why you're here. And so Jesus ups the ante, doesn't he? He he says, look, the only reason why you're here, he says, you need to drink my flesh and eat my blood. So Jesus intentionally makes it difficult. He's challenging them. And when he challenged them, what happened? A lot of people quit following. That's what happened. Because the truth is, a lot of people don't really want Jesus. They just want the benefits of Jesus. And if Jesus is going to share forever with you, which he wants to do, if he wants to share an intimate relationship with you for eternity, then you and I have to stop going after him just for the benefits and fall in love with him, like as a person, him. Because I'm going to spend forever with him. You've heard me say it before, jokingly, that if heaven was a trailer park, but Jesus was there, I'd still want to go. Because the thrill and the joy of heaven is not the gold streets and the pearly gates and all the cool stuff. The thrill and the joy of heaven is Jesus. And I'm sorry, I'll take a trailer with Jesus forever because he's the most fascinating person that I have ever encountered in my life and I don't think I could ever encounter someone more fascinating than Jesus. He is so full of surprises and so full of wonder and splendor and majesty and he's amazing. And I know spending forever with him is not at all boring. He's, he, there is nothing boring about Jesus. Do you, have, you, have you met Jesus in the Bible? Like He is not boring. He says, drink his flesh and eat his blood. I mean, come on, that's pretty exciting, right? <laughs> See, so what will you do when it gets difficult? What will you do when it gets difficult? What will you do when Jesus calls us to a higher standard of living? What will you do when following Jesus gets hard? What will you do when Jesus begins to um, you know, meddle in your personal life, if you will, to meddle with your sex life, to meddle with your money, to meddle in all of your other relationships. Like, what will you do when Jesus begins to, you know, start exerting himself in those areas of your life, right? It gets hard after a while. The point is, God's bringing us to this place in relationship with him where we can say the same thing that Job did. Job said in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, a lot of us are not there yet. Would you, would, would you agree? That's a tough one. Like, all right, a lot of us aren't there yet. And I gotta tell you, personally, most days, I'm not there yet. But that's where he's leading me in relationship, where, where, where I'm that committed, I'm that close, I'm that invested that even if it went that far, I would trust him. I would trust him right to those limits. When I'm being challenged, right, am I in this for Jesus or am I in this for the benefits? So remember this journey is called killing me. Why dying to self is the only way to truly live? Correct. It's contrary to everything the world tells us about self-actualization and finding your identity The world is all about you finding your identity within yourself, and by 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 you being the center of attention, and your feelings, and your perspective, and all the things that you want. And it tells you, but that's a fool's game. That's empty. Truly, the only way to come alive is to die to myself. Truly, the only way to get clarity on my life is to stop focusing on my life. Stop expecting everything to revolve around me. Like, that's the only way for me to actually come alive. It's contrary, I realize that, it, to the way the world does it, but that's the truth. And so Jesus asks us the same question that he did to the 12 disciples that day. And it's questions in John chapter 6, verse 67. Jesus asked them this, are you also going to leave? How about you? See, are you wanting more? Is this you? You're unimpressed with church, but you're unsatisfied with the world. And this morning you've discovered that actually that's the voice of the Father calling you into our intimate relationship with Jesus, the bread. Is that you? Are you you maybe following Jesus so far, but it's starting to get hard? You're in that trial of opposition, and you're discovering, man, this is tough. And he's asking me for things that I'm not sure I want to give. right? You're in that phase. Friends, is he worth it? Is Jesus worth the struggle? Is he worth it? Um, you won't know he's worth it until you walk into it. See, the Lord's not interested in you and me having a theoretical relationship with himself. He just isn't. So... He wants you and me to live this, experience this, walk it. And the only way for that to happen is, well, I'm going to come upon some difficulty in my walk with Jesus. There are moments where it's going to get hard and where I'm confronted with, am I in this just because he's making me feel good or am I in this because he's everything I need and everything I want? See, he's the, he's the thing I've been looking for my whole life and I'm not going back. That's that trial of opposition. So there we are this morning. Let me just put this together for us as we close, okay, real quick. Karis, you can play. So here's how this goes. We begin relating to Jesus the way that a potter relates to clay. He is God, I am not. And you've come to this conclusion. You've begun to embrace this truth that you're not God, he is great. Fantastic first step. We nail that down. And now your eyes have been opened and you see life and the world differently. And you come to church, but it doesn't quite, it's still not you. It's not you. But then you hang out with your old friends, and that's not you either. And you're dissatisfied. And maybe for a long time, you have felt like you were weird. You have felt like you, you know, something was wrong with you. And I'm telling you this morning, nothing's wrong with you. That dissatisfaction that you feel is the voice of the Father calling you into a deeper place of relationship. Because you weren't made for church, and you weren't made for the world. You were made for Jesus. And so the only solution for you this morning is to come to Jesus. He's the bread that you have been looking for. He really is. Some of you have begun to enjoy this bread, and you relate to him like a sheep and a shepherd, and you enjoy the voice of God, and man, you're digging into the Word, and things are alive, and prayers are getting answered, and this is exciting, and we're so happy for you. But you're also beginning to discover that It's hard. This following Jesus thing is not for wimps. And he begins to ask you for things in your life. And you're struggling to let go of them. Right? It's it's that opposition. You're feeling that opposition. Well, this morning, I want to encourage you to make the decision to give them over to him, whatever that is. You know, you know what it is God's asking you for. Give that over to him. And, and trust it to him. And you'll begin to discover his faithfulness in it. That's what you'll find. You'll find that he's faithful. And you'll find that he's consistent. And you'll find that he's right there. And you'll begin to appreciate him in a whole new way. But first, you have to let that go. You do. So maybe that's where we are this morning you one of those two spots. I want to invite you specifically to come forward as we close in prayer, as we close in this song, and let's just pray together and give this to the Lord, okay? I also want to encourage you that if you're talking with somebody who expresses these things, and no doubt you probably have talked with people before who have expressed these things, in that moment, would you just encourage them and point them to the bread? Because he's the one their heart's longing for. And don't dare tell them that there's something wrong with them or that they, they're living in sin and they need to change. <laughs> encourage them to the bread. Take them to the bread because he's the one that they're really longing for. Okay, enough. Jesus, we need you. Well, that about wraps it up for today. We're really glad that you joined us. We pray that this message blessed you. If you're looking for some more information, you can check out the resources page at newriverchurch.org and you'll find the journal for this entire series. God bless you. Have an awesome day.